Now what we're going to do is bring forward the group that went to Cambodia. Why don't you guys come up? And what I'm going to have them do... brother okay what i'm going to have them do is i'm going to have them say something for about two or three minutes something real quick something that impressed them about the trip maybe something a little humorous and they're going to go through i'm going to have dustin be last and you guys megan i think you ought to be first since it was your first trip go ahead okay Okay. (laughs) um well it was amazing and (laughs) look at them (laughs) well uh one thing that really stood out was just everyone seeing, hearing the gospel for the first time was amazing. This, uh, this little girl, she was sitting, and they had a gospel uh, movie playing, and she was just, like, zoned in. And I don't even know if she blinked. She was just staring and staring, and this big fly flies on her nose. And she's just so in it, she's like... <laughs> and just never moves. She doesn't flinch and just is, is in it. And her mom has to, like, drag her away. And she doesn't want to look away. She's just, just in it. And I just thought that was, that was amazing. And it was a good, good way to start the trip. Okay, so. what, what do you miss about, uh, or what did you miss not getting to eat over there? Burgers. <laughs> no, 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 no. You mentioned something to me this oh, morning. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay. Uh we were looking for tarantulas and we couldn't find any. And, <laughs> and rats. And rats. And was there Fro- something? Frogs. But I mean, that oh, one I've heard of other people, but I really wanted the tarantula. Okay. That means you have to go back. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay. I have to go back for that. Steve? Okay, I'll go. You know, we could talk about uh, some of the hardships that we went through. We ate three meals a day. We slept in air conditioning um, quarters, but I think the biggest thing that changed me or uh, made an impression on me was a story told to me by a young man at Water of Life Calvary. And he was saying, do you understand how God can change our lives? Well, I had to agree, but he goes, no, you don't. He says that uh, he and his village had never known God. And uh, when they finally came to his village and they heard it for the very first time, his family was the first family to accept the uh, the love of God. And he says it was so remarkable that in the Buddhist faith, nobody really cares about each other. You know, life is full of suffering, and you have to try to figure out that suffering, and you might be reincarnated. Well, what he said was once we made a change, all of a sudden we realized that those around us need us just as much as God provides for us. And they started helping out the local villagers, build their houses, feed them when they needed to be fed. And he says, and it made a change, and other families wanted to know why. Why are you different? And all they could say was, because of Jesus. And so their village is actually is going crazy right now. The Son of God is, is alive in Cambodia. And that, that, was, that was amazing. So I just wanted to, again, thank you all for sending us out, taking care of us while we were gone, praying for our families as we left them, and just tell you I love you. Sinus infection? No. <laughs> What's that? 
Oh, that's okay. And we wear tuk-tuks everywhere. Tuk-tuks are motorcycles with this thing you can set in. They're pretty fun. Uh, it's their local cab. And uh, unfortunately, I had to set up on the thing right behind the motorcycle because we had too many in our tuk-tuk. And I leaned my, my short, uncovered leg onto the muffler. So I have a, I have a real big muffler burn. <laughs> All right, I guess it's my turn. Um, doing pharmacy, you don't, I don't really have a lot of interaction with people, so I'm just filling prescriptions, uh, so I don't see a lot of stuff that a lot of other people see. But uh, one thing I always heard Steve always say in doing eyes, and he is great on eyes, uh, is it's amazing when they don't, they don't realize that they need glasses and they need glasses. And I looked one day, and I saw one of the ladies on glasses and she was like oh I'm like hey that's what Steve was about talking about this whole time okay cool so I got to experience that was pretty cool and as for uh, rats well we were in one village and I was like mmm smells good what's cooking and it was rats and I really wanted to try some rats but not from a village though and it was kind of cool um in that uh, village, there was a little baby inside of a hammock that they had a little, uh, you know those fly screens that you put over food? So they had a giant one over the little <laughs> child on that. It was kind of adorable. But um, other than that, uh, the, we had a Buddhist monk that was able to, uh, as far as we know, got saved. Um, we did probably about average about 120 people a day around there. So we did, what, seven or eight clinics? And so eight and 900 people. So I at least got to hear the gospel, so that's good. Um, we had one village that apparently um, we found out later that they were causing some issues that could have been a lot worse. But uh, thank the Lord that um, everything was taken care of and nothing bad happened. Uh, there were some troublemakers, but everything calmed down. And... Um, and if you haven't seen the video that uh, Dustin put up, the Cambodians are very into uh, eco-saving the whales when they're beached, as uh, the video of uh, several of the girls pushing the whale into the pool. So they're, they're very eco-friendly. I did. So. And maybe there'll be a video of me uh, falling on my face when I was ice skating for the first time. So that would be fun if we get that up there. Okay. So good morning, everyone. And you know, first, first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody for all of your support, your prayers more than anything. That without all of your prayers and your support, there's no way that we could do these mission trips and uh, you know, leaving our families behind, knowing that they're in good hands with our church family here, that it's, it makes it possible for us to go and focus on what we're doing when we're over there. So thank you for that. And, you know, as far as the trip goes, there's so many things that are impactful when you're over there and just observing everything and being in the Word seven days, eight days, ten days straight where every morning you're getting up in devotions and then you're doing service all day and then you're coming home and you're doing worship and more study and you're just constantly in the Word and with everybody else doing the same thing. It's such a, an amazing feeling of just being with people that are so in the Word for all that time straight and you're just kind of focused on it and just kind of get your energy going every day and it's it's just an amazing experience to go through i know one of the things that really kind of affected me i was there was one of the ladies that had obviously had polio or something that said her legs were all kind of shriveled up and she needed help getting around and 
Megan called me out to triage, said there's a lady who needed help to, to go over to the gospel. She'd already been triaged. And so I went out and I asked uh, Hin to come and help me carry this lady. And as I went to pick her up and he's like, just put, kind of put his hands next to me to help carry her, I realized this lady weighs less than my you know, son who's just about to turn eight. And she's like, you know, 50-year-old woman. And it's just impactful when you think about that, that, you know, she had, her legs didn't weigh much because she had had polio and it shriveled up. And she was just such a tiny little lady. But when you look at somebody and you see them a full adult, you don't really think of, you know, how much they weigh. But when I go to pick her up and she weighed so little, to imagine people living in an area where you can go so malnourished and to where you don't weigh more than, you know, 50 pounds. It's just, I mean, it's impactful when you see that. And then on top of that, the fact that, like they were saying, that almost everybody in the communities that we go to had, had never heard of Christ before. They, didn't, they don't know anything about the gospel. They don't know anything but Buddhism. They may have heard somebody mention, you know, Christians before, and that's kind of about it. But us being able to go over there and be an example of, you know, what we're doing to be an example to them of, of Christ's light in the world and then share the gospel with them in their own language through the pastor that's over there doing the work is something that is amazing. You go and you tell people who have never heard of Christ before and you share the gospel with them and 90 to 100% of them accept Christ right there and turn their lives. It's just an amazing work that Christ is doing over there. So um, thank you again for all your support and your prayers for everything. Can take that to the back. Okay, guys. So <laughs> sedate. That means hello, right? Jumri Psua, right? That's more formal. Okay. Uh, how was uh, Megan? Megan. How did you do on the morning devotion? Because everybody has to do a devotion. What did you think about that? Good. Good. I was worried about that a little bit for you. Like, okay, she's never done a morning devotion. And you have all these people that are around there, like the saints. They're real saints, you know. And what are you going to teach them? And oh, my. But uh, the people there are very gracious. It's a a wonderful thing to do. And so we want to continue to be praying. Um, As I said last week, going in December, and then it looks like again in Africa, uh, coming up in May. It looks like the dates are going to be about May 3rd third through 13th and it's a long trip it's about 25 hours to 30 hours you know to fly over there so uh, please be praying about all that and that god would provide and by the way if you think to yourself well i could never go to cambodia you know i know i can help here but uh it's it's just not the same as going over there with vbs if we have slots to fill in vbs sign up it it's the same reward we are giving these little kids the gospel And even though you may have the job of flipping the burgers or cooking the hot dogs, you might think you are insignificant, and you are not when you were there. Uh, Megan, you did triage. Steve, you did glasses. Um, What did Dustin do? Triage as well? He did security. Oh, he was the policeman this time, huh? Uh, And uh, we had the druggist 
that would have been Nate handling the drugs. So, uh, and you know, each one of those jobs, it may seem insignificant because you're not actually giving the gospel. Somebody else is doing that, but it's critical that everybody comes together. And there's no reason why we all can't be involved in that. The Lord calls us to do this where we're part of a team and we're making sure that every single area is covered. And even if we only get three kids or we get 30 kids, it doesn't matter. We set this thing up and they get saved. And who knows, either they or somebody that they eventually witness to can become the next Billy Graham. And so that's what we have to focus on is just getting the gospel to those who need it. Now let's go ahead and take out our Bibles and open up to the book of Exodus. And we're quickly running out of time here. So let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you. We give thanks, Father, for the ability to send people from this church to faraway places where they have never heard the gospel. And we ask that the fruit that may be produced, the seeds that have been sown, would be lasting that it would take over the villages that are over there, that people would renounce their Buddhism or their Islam, uh, whatever religion they may follow, or even those who are atheists. We pray that they would forsake that and they would turn to you and trust in you and be witnesses in their own villages. But Father, right now, train us, use us. We pray that you would put your word into our hearts that we might not fail you when the opportunity comes. And we know that this is your will for us. You have told us to be those disciples. And so, Father, accomplish this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Exodus chapter 17. And we are over in verse 8 is where we left off, really verse 9. But this is where we run across the Amalekites who came to attack the Israelites by Rephidim. And the Amalekites were just a, I guess, you know what a vulture is? They were like vultures. They would come up to the rear of the company of the Israelites and they would pick off the wheat, uh, wheat, the weak who were back there, and they would just kind of hover around there. The word for that is vulturine. They were a vulturine type of people, and God declares a couple of different times, once in Isaiah, another time over in Ezekiel, how that's it. They're going to be dealt with severely. And this is the case where the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. In verse 9 it says, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Hur is thought to be uh, the husband of Miriam, who is Moses' sister. There's some who don't believe that, but it seems to be the case. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek 
from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So who were these Amalekites? Well, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. If you remember from the book of Genesis, there was Esau and his brother Jacob and Jacob. The dirty, sneaky thief, he stole the birthright from Esau. He sold his birthright because of a bowl of porridge, and the the guy was ruddy or he was red. He had hair all over his body. Esau means hairy, and that's who he was. So if somebody is named Harry today, you can go up and call them Esau. And and so he was a hunter. I'm sure he probably smelled a little gamey as well. He was always out in the field. And Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He was inside cooking up things and doing whatever his mom wanted to do. And it was his mom that colluded uh, with him in order to deceive Isaac that he would get the blessing. And so all of this was taking place. And... Amalek was born, as I said, it was the grandson of Esau. Now, Esau is the type of the flesh. Uh, in Scripture, it says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Uh, God wasn't referring to Esau. He was referring to the Edomites, but he called them Esau, just like the Israelites. Well, they're not Israel, which is another name for Jacob. They are not Jacob. They are a race of people. And so when God says that about the Edomites, he means the people. He hates the Edomites. And the Edomites were part of the, or the Amalekites were part of the Edomites. Uh, The Amalekites were kind of a subset inside of the area of Edom. And both of them represent the flesh. And so when you read this story here, you think all that you're getting is history. That you're simply taking these Amalekites and they came in and they attacked the Israelites and that's the story and they were overcome because Moses stuck out his hands like this to the Lord and he had the staff in one hand and his hands were getting tired and so her was on one side you know they put this stone down the stone would probably be about this big and here was Aaron on one side just like this the whole time and here was her on the other side just like this the whole time and Moses is going oh this is just hard have you ever tried to hold up your hand for a while try going home and holding it up for 10 minutes better yet try both hands in the air for 10 minutes even out this way try it for 10 minutes and especially with a staff in your hand how long how much do you think a staff weighs maybe five pounds take a five pound weight and stick it out there and just hold it and see what it does. And how long did he do that? All day. Try 10, 15 minutes. Just stick it out there to see what Moses is going through. And because of that, the battle was won. Now, Joshua, you know, the people that were fighting with Joshua, they would look up to Moses, he'd be up there, and then he'd put his hands down. And they'd go, oh, oh no. And they would start to lose the battle. But then when Moses would go, no, oh, they'd go, no. Oh! And they would start fighting again is how the battle took place. And you go, what's with that? What are we supposed to learn with that? It's just a story about a battle that's happening. What type of meaning are we supposed to get? You know, in the Old Testament, it's concealed. In the New Testament, it's revealed. So there is definitely a spiritual meaning behind what is taking place here. And we're going to discover 
what that spiritual meaning is. Now, God was determined to judge the descendants of Esau in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 5, because you rejoice when the inheritance of the house of Israel became desolate. Whenever Israel would fall down, it was the history of the house of Esau to just get all excited about it because they hated each other. It's kind of like the relationship today between the Arab nations and Israel. If Israel was to cease to exist tomorrow, there would be such an uproar of praise and rejoicing in the Arab countries. You would not be able to contain it. There would probably be riots everywhere. People would just be falling over themselves to rejoice. And that's the way the Edomites were. Now, Going on with this, we have to look at who the Amalekites were. Again, they, they were like the Edomites. They were in the same area there. They were the same family. And they were representative of the flesh. Now, we have two natures at war within us. We have the flesh nature that wants to do something. And we have the spiritual nature that wants to do something. And they are constantly against each other. Galatians 5.17 says this, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Before we came to Christ, there was no war. If somebody, you might have had a little bit of a conscience there, but ah, you just put it to the side. Now, for those of you who in your high school years, hopefully it's not now, you were given to alcohol and drugs. Did you think twice about doing that or were you kind of eager? Like, yeah! And then you probably got sick, you probably had a hangover, you probably made a fool out of yourself. Several different possibilities could be in that realm. But your flesh said, yeah, it was so great, let's do it again. You know, and then you would, the next week you'd probably get involved. For those of you who didn't, you, you know, you didn't miss anything at all not being in that. And if you're still involved in that, you know, we'll pray for you. Hopefully the Lord will give you the ability to repent. Just like anybody, we would pray for them to have the ability to repent, repent as the Spirit gives us the power to do so. But this conflict would all of a sudden come up when somebody becomes a believer. You want to do what is right, but your flesh starts fighting you. Now, I've mentioned this before about dieting, just trying to lose five pounds. If you have to give up a little bit of something, your flesh says no, and you go, all right, and you go in and you get the Hershey Kisses from the freezer, and you take a handful, and you eat them all in one setting, right? Not that anybody does that, but that's what you do. And so the flesh just says no, and the spirit says no, and the two are contrary to one another. And this conflict rises even more the more you want to do for the Lord. The flesh says, no, don't do that. You know, when it comes to the VBS, I'm sure some of you are in here, you've heard that, and maybe you're not doing anything with it, and you're going, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I wish Pastor Bill would stop talking about it. It makes me feel guilty because he keeps talking about volunteering for VBS. What's the deal with him? Please stop. You know, and you, your flesh goes, no, I don't want to. My favorite program is on, you know, at that time, or whatever the case might be. And it's a life of sacrifice for us to say, no, I'm going to set apart that time for the Lord and serving him and making a difference. But our flesh comes up and says, don't do it. And so the two are contrary to one another. That's just an example of the fight. Or, for instance, going to Cambodia. You might think, I, 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 I might like to do that. I think that would be good. But there's rats. 
and tarantulas and things over there. And, you know, there's trash and there's filth, but there's people who need to be saved. And see, it's the flesh warring against the spirit, and you got to just say, okay, Lord, if you open the door, I'm going to go. I'm going to pray for this. You open every single door that you can. If the Lord doesn't want you to go through it, he'll have his hand on the other side as you push on it. You won't be able to go through. But the greatest blessing is when you're able to deny this flesh, and you open the door, and you go, hey, look at that. And open, wow, and you get the blessing of walking through the door, denying the flesh, and you're filled with joy. Anybody who doesn't push on the door as a believer, their joy goes away. If they push on the door a little bit and then they go, no, I'm not going to do that, then the joy is robbed because you see you don't fulfill God's purpose for you in this life. And so this attack began from the Amalekites as Israel's journey to Canaan began. And it's the same thing with our spiritual journey. It actually begins when we get saved. And it just gets tougher and tougher. And, you know, with the way things are going today, as I was teaching the youth group this last week, and I was doing some research for it, just how many things are wrong in our country and in the world. I mean, they're... I don't know of anything, at least from our perspective, that is right. Everything, and we're being lied to about some of the statistics and the polls and everything that's happening out there. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of generation is going to receive the world in the next 40 years? My granddaughter happened to be in the Bible study, and I said, when you're my age... How bad will it be? It is going to be so bad. And I had him do a calculation. Well, how many years would that be? And where would I be at that time? And she turns to me and she goes, you're going to be dead. (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm going to be dead at that time. And praise the Lord for that. You know, I won't have to be here. But I need to be praying for my granddaughter and for my grandchildren that are out there. This next generation, how much will they actually follow the Lord as opposed to just buying into the way of the world? And everything that is out there, the confusion, the turmoil, the fights. I just saw this video uh, over in Pakistan. There was a group of millennials and they were sitting down and they were watching a, a broadcast of some band. I don't know what the band was, but they were podcasting it over into Pakistan and they were just sitting down having a good time and one of them had a beer that was right there you could see this camera and there was a beer right there it wasn't that they were over imbibing but you know they they weren't drunk and falling over each other it was just in the room and in come 20 men with pipes and beat them and kicked them out because they were watching a group and they had an open beer they had some open beers there how long do you think before that arrives here? I just read that there are 100,000 Muslims that have come into our country over the last several years to be established here. I don't know what is going on with that. And the Border Patrol has been told, do not kick them out. And the FBI has been told, do not investigate what they are doing and what they post on Facebook. It is just nonsensical. So what kind of environment are they going to live in? And we're there, our grandchildren and our children, we're 
will their struggle be against the flesh even more than what it is for us? I will say yes. It will be extremely difficult for them. And so that is this battle between the flesh and the spirit. We want to be able to be convicted for being a Christian in a court of law if that is the case. And we want to make sure our children and our grandchildren will be able to stand up under this as well. Now, going on with this here, as I said, Miriam, her husband was thought to be her, who is one of the guys who was holding up the arms of Moses. Aaron was the other one. And what these guys were doing is they were interceding. They were interceding for Joshua, who was on the battlefield, but they were not actually involved in the thick of the battle. This is the spiritual application that we're supposed to gain from this. First, you have Moses, you have the staff of God, and you have the two guys on either side, and they are holding up his arms. So this staff of God, what is that? We're going to look at that in a second. But these two guys on either side are interceding. They chose to stand there all day with Moses. It's not like it's the same as far as a burden to be carried as those who are fighting the battle. But nonetheless, it was vital for the people to be encouraged, for Joshua to be encouraged and everybody that was fighting with them because as they looked up, they saw that Moses was still standing up. They took courage from that. Somehow their faith was bolstered and they fought even more against the enemy. They, they had a resolve that was elevated once they saw Moses. But it took three of them interceding for the entire army. When these people who just went, went to Cambodia, it was our job to hold up the arms of Moses, so to speak, to be on the side and to be interceding for them as they were over there and they get encouraged. I can tell you from experience when you go to a place like that, the spiritual warfare is great. And if they didn't suffer too much being over there, well, that means the prayers were being answered. But from our perspective, you, you would say, well, they were having a good time. Nate was being drugged into the pool and they had this long trip and they were laughing and they had dinner all together. Well, that, that's not all of it. It was also over 100 degrees. They were dripping with sweat from their nose. They were seeing the poverty that was there. Like um, Dustin was telling you, you had this woman who had suffered from polio and you see all this suffering around and you can only bring them a temporary physical uh, mode of help, but you can give them something that is much more lasting, that the gospel would carry them through into eternity. And that's what it's all about, being engaged and being like her and holding up the arms of Moses and being like Aaron and being on either side. You had one on the left and one on the right. What if one of them said, I'm tired. I'm going to go to my tent for a while. You know, I, you can do this, Aaron. Just get up here. Put your hand over here and you can hold up his arms on either side. What if he said that? Would the battle have suffered? Yes, the battle would have suffered. Would Aaron have suffered? Yes, Aaron would have suffered. Would Moses have suffered? Well, he would have seen the defeat of his people. That's how vital one person can be. And yet if that one person says, no, I don't want to hold up the arms of Moses. I'm tired of doing this. Why can't somebody else come along? I need to take a break. And we get in this mode. And what are we doing? I mean, we're working for eternity here. And if it causes us a little inconvenience, well, so be it. And I, again, I'm not saying that to beat anybody over the head. I'm just trying to bring perspective 
of what we are doing and why we are doing it. And we need to be pressing forward. And we each have our own problems. I told you that I was uh, going through this audiobook of these 50 different people, and I'm on only about number 12. And one of these guys, I think it was Jonathan Edwards again, he had several children. And uh, there was a couple of them, and I may be confusing them together, but the, the testimony was one of them would get up. Oh, actually, I think I have this one here. Yes, John Welch, a preacher in Scotland. John Welch, in this audiobook, it said, he prayed seven or eight hours a day. I heard that, and I go, oh, 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 oh conviction. I don't pray seven or eight hours a day. You know, I'm lucky at some points to focus on something for seven or eight minutes. And this guy is praying seven or eight hours a day. He would get up early. It says here, he used to keep a plaid on his bed, which is a blanket, that he might wrap himself in it when he rose during the night. Sometimes his wife found him on the ground lying, weeping. When she complained... He would say, oh, woman, I have the souls of 3,000 to answer for, and I know not how it is with many of them. Oh, that God would pour down his spirit of prayer on you and me and all the ministers of the beloved church, and that we shall see better days in Scotland. Talk about being committed. You know, I look at that and go, I can't. I, I am not capable of this. And, uh, you know, again, I was walking away feeling completely convicted of this. Jonathan Edwards, he would study for 13 hours and he would preach and sometimes do seven sermons during a week's period. And then he would go home and spend one hour with his six or seven children. Again, I hope I'm not mixing up the people that are listened to so many yesterday. But he would do that at the end of the day. How many times when, you know, the fathers come home, are they just, I'm just tired. You want to get in your lazy boy chair, take off the shoes, fall asleep before you take a shower. And as you head to bed, your wife goes, no, shower. And you have to go into the shower. And it's just a rough life. But I read these guys and I go, I am such a wimp. You know, my mind can't even lift my wrist to do anything compared to these guys. Don't even compare to what they have given for the sake of the gospel. You know, Martin Luther, there was a price on his head. He married a nun. And she came out and she was just a wonderful woman. And all the things that she did, and ladies, if you read about her or listened to her on an audio tape, you'd probably say the same thing. I am such a wimp. And these 50 people, I'm going to go through all of them, They have just incredible testimonies. And the persecutions that they would go through, there's this one pastor, he ended up serving for 54 years. But when he started in the pulpit, people didn't like him. And so in the church, they would have these pews, but they would have lockable doors on the pews. And so when you came in the church, you know, and everybody left, they would lock the pews up so nobody could sit in the pew area. Well, they didn't like this pastor so much, and so he would start doing having services, and he'd have some evening services. And the, the, the they were like deacons inside the church. They would lock all the pew doors so he couldn't have his service. And so he set up benches in the aisles, and so they came in and they threw all the benches outside. They didn't like him. They wanted him to go. But he ended up staying for 54 years in that church, but he received 
received such opposition and I read about these guys and go, man, I have a great life. I don't have that kind of problem at all. But these guys endured so much. And then there was a, a battle a war of words between John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. It is said, Benjamin Franklin even recorded this. I remember reading his biography. And Benjamin Franklin said that he once showed up to a meeting and there was at least thirty to 40,000 people in every one of them. He walked, Benjamin Franklin walked to the back of the crowd and could clearly hear Mr. Whitfield up at the front proclaiming the gospel all the way in the back and that was supernatural God had opened the door but Mr. Whitfield had something that was between him and John Wesley and and Mr. Whitfield was kind of the head of the Methodist movement he was the one that actually started it and then John Wesley took it over and John Wesley came out and he started writing things bad about uh, Mr. Whitfield because Mr. Whitfield was more of a reform type guy and John Wesley was a Arminianist and he would say things and Mr. Whitfield tried to resolve the issue between the two of them. It was the focus on Christ and that's what it was supposed to be. And so there was this warring between the parties and this war of the flesh that was going on and it was just incredibly difficult. And I'm going to keep reading about these guys, but we need to do that. We need to read about these guys and what they've gone through. Otherwise, we become myopic and we do not have perspective of what's going on and we're stuck inside of our world and we never reach out. And that is to our shame that we do that. And I'm not just saying that about you. I'm saying that about me as well. I get inspired by these guys to see what they have done and what they have accomplished by just simply being faithful. Now, the Israelites reckon, are recognized that if they kept their eyes on the leader as they were fighting the battle, which was Moses, things would be fine. Scripture says that Moses was like a god to Pharaoh, right? And Aaron was his prophet. What do you think he was like to the nation of Israel? To them, he was God's representative. He was the one that was in authority. And so they looked to him for the building of their faith. Uh, the, the point is that victory is a joint effort. Not only was Moses there that the people could look to, but her and Aaron were on either side. Joshua got the credit for the battle being won, but others were involved in securing this victory. And that's our job. If we don't actually go and do something, we have to be involved in prayer and support however we can. In our life with Christ, if we're not doing the actual heavenly lifting, we need to be helping by interceding, encouraging, and being visible to those who are in the midst of the fight. Like the missionaries who are out there. And, you know, I've written a few people in prison. I thought I need to sit down and I need to write those people again. I need to communicate with them. And with some of them, it's been months and I, I need to be committed so that they will be encouraged on the inside but also the missionaries they need to hear from us as well if you're interested in doing something like that we can set you up now when we fail in these areas there can be discouragement the areas that i'm referring to here are interceding and encouraging and being visible uh, but we want to make sure Excuse me, when we fail in these areas, there can be discouragement, just like Joshua experienced. And when the hands were dropped, the battle was being lost. But when the hands were held up, others were helping secure the victory, as I just said. And, and so just our very presence there helps. That's why we fellowship. You don't know when you come to church if you're going to minister to somebody who is right next to you. If you spend some time and don't immediately exit. Now, some are given to that. When we are here in church, 
you make a decision, you just say, okay, I'm done. And you make a beeline and turn left. And you go out through the hallway because you have to go to lunch or you have something to take care of, which there are those times where we do that. I get it. But if you make it a regular habit, instead of turning right, and you might say, well, I have an excuse. I don't want to be tempted by the donuts. Ah, you know, it's just a test for you to overcome. But the point is, you're supposed to be in fellowship. You're supposed to open your mouth. But I get afraid around people. I don't know what to say. It's okay. Just stand there. If you just stand there, people will come up to you and say, hey, what's up? And you go, nothing. And let them just talk with you. We're supposed to be unified. If you just leave, there is no unity. Hang out. Fellowship. Get to know the people around you. If you find out that they have some problems, pray for them. Even right there. You mean right there? Pray for them? Like right there? Yeah. Put your hand on their shoulder and say, I'm going to pray for you right now. And if they look at you like, right now? Yes, right now I'm going to pray for you. And you pray for them, and they walk away going, wow, I got prayed for. That's pretty cool. And they walk out, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so please, don't segregate yourself. Don't become the Lone Ranger. There are no Lone Rangers in Christendom. We're all supposed to be working together, as is evidenced by this story. Now, going on with this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, and I'm sure as they were holding up Moses' hands, they were praying as well. And 1 Timothy 2, 8 says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And I think it's good he says men here. It doesn't mean exclusively men. But men, we need to be praying for our families, our spouses, our kids, anybody that we can think of. We need to be interceding. One of the greatest tools that we have that is often neglected is prayer. And spiritually speaking, our hands do get heavy when it comes to lifting up prayers for others. It is difficult to do that. I'll give you a personal example of this. I was here at the church last night I had to pick up a few things and you know I just sat down and I asked the Lord a few things and I felt he asked me sit down and so I okay I sat down you know I was in the chair and I I felt like I got things to do I got to get up and he goes no I want you for 15 minutes I want you right there and I want you praying and I go okay and so I 15 minutes I was there and I was praying And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I need to listen for the voice of the Lord like that more. If he wants me to pray for 30 minutes or if he wants me to pray for an hour, just listening to him, just having that ear. And I could feel my flesh going, get up. And I was going, no. And the battle was going on right then when I would start to pray. No, come on, you got stuff to do. And no. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek after the Lord. And that was inspired by these guys that I had read about. Now, going on with this. I'm five minutes past the time. I apologize. I'm just like running away with this. You know, uh, if the worship team could come up, I apologize for going over. The Sunday school is probably just having a fit over there. Um, But as they come up, I, I just want to tell you guys that... As you go from this place, if the Lord wants you to be involved, just submit to him. If he wants you to pray, 
just submit to him. If he wants you to follow after him and really be his disciple, don't just be a Christian in name only. If he wants you to sacrifice something, just do it because it'll benefit not only you, but everyone else. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song.